thank you, Lord, for the things that, that I get to talk about these Sunday mornings. They're just so amazing. And, and what I'm feeling this morning, Lord, is, is uh, and my heart is just nowhere near feeling both the, the sorrow I should feel for some of these truths and the joy and celebration I should be feeling. And I need your help, Lord, again, once again. Would you give me the heart, more, more of the heart that I need, and wisdom that I need? And would you, give, would you touch all of our hearts, Lord? Huge, amazing truths that are in your word that we get to look at this morning. Truths that should just cause us to weep and cause us to leap with joy. So would you do that, I pray, in me and in us as we open up your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off giving you two very different pictures of how people can view the Christian life. And I want you to think about which picture more accurately describes you. Some people think that the Christian life is like being, I've used this before, uh, but it's just so important to think about it. You you think it's like being on a cruise ship to Mazatlan, okay? Uh, Here's what I mean. You're glad you're on board. Uh, You're looking forward to getting there. You're glad you're going there, not the other place. Okay, you're glad you're going to Mazatlan. Um, and you're planning on just enjoying the trip as best you can. So you're enjoying the people, and you're doing all you can to make your trip as comfortable as you can the whole way through, and you're really glad Jesus paid for the ticket. But basically, you're on a cruise ship to Mazalan. That's kind of how you view the Christian life. That is not even close to what Jesus taught. It's miles from what Jesus taught. The picture, lots of pictures we could use. The one I want to use this morning, more accurate picture, is that you're a soldier fighting to set captives free. Okay? All right, there we go. Two different pictures. All right. Jesus taught that we're living in wartime. We are living in the midst of a war. Planet Earth is at war. A war that's far more significant than the worst world war you could possibly imagine, where eternity is at stake. Kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness, in conflict together. And all of us have been in Satan's prisoner of war camp because of our rebellion against God. We've all been there. But Jesus shed his blood to set you free. You've been freed. He took out the heart of stone, gave you a heart of flesh. You're out of there. It's like if you can imagine the the horrible pictures you've seen of the Holocaust and people in the concentration camps to see the allied armies come and the gates swing open. and (sighs) Imagine how that would have felt. You've been freed from the concentration camp. And then Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, now your call is to be a soldier and to invade prisoner of war camps and to set the captives free. I'm going to be with you. I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will provide for you. I will guide you. I will help you. I will comfort you. It'll cost you. But I promise you, I will make it up to you a hundredfold. Everything it costs you, I will make it up for you a hundredfold forever. Okay, two very different pictures of the Christian life. Cruise ship to Mazatlan. Just glad you're on board. Gonna enjoy this, gonna make it as comfortable for myself as I can. Soldier seeking to set captives free. Which one reflects this last week? of your life. 
I need to work on this more. All of us need to work on this more. We need to move towards being soldiers setting captives free. And as I just prayed this week and was before the Lord and, and looking at the topic and the text, I just think God wants to do something in our hearts this morning, church, where we start to have a shift and we, we see the world differently and our lives differently. That's what I'm praying for for me and for all of us. So let's start by turning to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We always like to make sure you all have a Bible. The Bible is what's important here. Okay? And Mark 1, verse 14, is on page 836 in the Bibles we're passing out. This is a crucial two verses to understand Jesus' ministry. Because here Jesus... Uh, message is summarized in one statement. Mark gives us a summary of what Jesus taught everywhere he went. He said a lot more than this, but this is a summary statement of what Jesus says. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Mark tells us, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Here's the gospel. Gospel of God. Saying, the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the message that Jesus repeated over and over again was the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. God's kingdom has come. In me, in Jesus, I'm bringing God's kingdom to earth. What I want to unfold this morning is what does that mean? What does that mean? And, uh, The way I want to kind of go about that is by first raising this question, and that is, what kingdom was here then before Jesus brought God's kingdom? If Jesus walked into Galilee and said, the kingdom of God is now here, well, what kingdom was here before he came and made that announcement? Understand the question? What kingdom was here? I think you might be shocked at the answer. Maybe. Depends on how much you've read the Bible. Look at what Jesus said in John 14, 29 through 30. John chapter 14, this is page 901 in the Bibles we passed out. To the right from Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 14, 29 through 30. Here Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he wants to prepare them for his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. And so he wants to warn them of what's going to come so they won't be too devastated. And look at what he says in verse 29 and 30, John 14. He says, and now I've told you before it takes place about my arrest and crucifixion and and leaving, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. It's all happening right now. The ruler of this world is coming. Now, who's the ruler of this world? If you look through John's gospel, you'll see that the ruler of this world, Jesus says, is Satan, the devil. Okay? Jesus taught about a real Satan, a supernatural being, not just a force of evil, but a supernatural being who's far more powerful than we are in ourselves, who's consumed by a passion to destroy God's creation. He's just fuming with envy that God's getting glory, and he's not. He's this little creature. God's God. He's a little creature. We're, 
little creatures, okay? But he's just fuming with envy that God's getting glory. He wants to destroy God's creation. And so he's the ruler of this world. Jesus says that there is a Satan, devil, who's ruling the worlds, which means that he is the king of this world, which means that it's Satan's kingdom that's here in this world before Jesus comes. Remember how Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, I think it's verse 4, talks about Satan as the God of this world. Quite a shocking statement, using God on a different sense than of, as the infinite creator God, obviously. So the kingdom that was here before Jesus brought God's kingdom, it was Satan's kingdom. Like 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, we're of God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Now, how did that happen? God created the world. So it's his world. He created it. It was good. It was perfect. It's beautiful. How did we get from that world, God's world, God is king, God's kingdom, to a world which has Satan as its king? How'd that happen? We did it. Our sin. Okay? Adam and Eve and all of us, we knew full well God's perfectly good, loving, faithful, kind, flawless, merciful. He's promised to love us, to provide for us, to guide us, to satisfy our hearts in himself, to guide us perfectly in how we should live in his word. We knew all that, and Adam and Eve and all of us refused to bend the knee and trust God. We all refused to. We creatures rebelled against our creator. There was a a rebellion on planet Earth. Every single one of us have rebelled against God. And God is perfectly just. And so he had to withdraw his, the benevolence of his kingdom, the goodness of his kingdom, and he, he sovereignly, purposefully allowed Satan's kingdom to rise in ascendancy and to rule the world. Under his sovereignty, Satan's not out of control, God has purposefully allowed this as just and right punishment to shake us up, to help us see the consequences of turning from God, and because God and his justice had to withdraw his benevolence. So what happened? What was the result of Satan's rule? Okay, Let me give you three results. This is where we should start to just like weep almost if we think about what's happened. As you look out those doors, those doors right here in this room, this is the world. This is what's happening in the world now. Okay, Three results that we see in the scriptures, Old Testament, and we see all around us. First of all, sin's power and wickedness increased throughout the world. We'd all rebelled against God, but because God allowed, purposefully allowed Satan's rule to increase, the wickedness of our sin increased, the, the ugliness of our sin increased, the power of our sin increased. I mean, you can read in the Old Testament things like what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read in the Old Testament Israelites taking their live babies and burning them at altars to false gods. Just as ugly, scribes and Pharisees taking the Old Testament and distorting it and twisting it into a system which elevated their spirituality and self-righteousness above everybody else. So God was like applauding them at how holy and righteous they were. Think about the Holocaust. Think about Russia under Stalin in the 30s, Mao Zedong. Just think, think about what's happened to the world. Sin's power and wickedness has increased. That's one result. 
Second result, demonic beings tormented people. There's demons. I know some people get kind of whacked out and put way too much emphasis on this, but it's just right there in the Bible. It's plain as day. Some of you have experienced demons in your lives. Some of you maybe are right now. Okay, there's good news coming. Okay, but let's not get there yet. Let's feel this first. Demons are supernatural personal beings allied with Satan who are here to accomplish Satan's rule and to do Satan's will. And so they do terrible things like you read in Mark chapter 5, this man who's tormented by a legion of demons living amongst the tombs, naked, screaming, cutting himself. That level of, of torment. So since power and wickedness increased, demonic beings tormented people, and then sickness spread throughout the earth. There was no sickness in Genesis 1 and 2. Was there? None. None. God withdrew the the benevolence of his kingdom as as just punishment for our rebellion and, and let Satan's rule rise. And the result was the spread of blindness. People created by God with eyes meant to see blind can't see. People with lame legs can't walk. People with withered hands who can't reach. People with leprosy, noses falling off, ears falling off, toes falling off, paralysis. The list just goes on. You know know what sickness is. So since power and wickedness increased, demonic beings tormented people, sickness spread throughout the earth. I don't want to overstate this. There were times in the Old Testament when there were like, in God's mercy, God's full of mercy, Droplets of God's kingdom, just little droplets through the Old Testament. So God at times brought his saving power upon people and set them free from sin's power, like Abraham, changed, saved. Okay? David, Rahab, right, the remnant, there's always a remnant. Um, there were there were no times in the Old Testament that we read that God uh, freed anybody from demonic powers. We don't really read about demonic powers. That wasn't part of the language of the Old Testament. But there, there were some healings in the Old Testament, right? There's some times where God healed people, a few. But for the most part, the globe was Satan's kingdom. God purposefully allowed Satan to rule. It's not out of, out of God's control. He's still sovereign over everything that Satan does, but he's purposefully allowed Satan with his influence to rule. And that's the world that Jesus came into. And so... Do you feel do you, do you feel what's happened from Genesis 1 and 2? Adam and Eve, perfection, joy, provision, God's presence, very good creation to what happened because of our rebellion against God where this is now Satan's kingdom. It's absolutely tragic. The world as it was when Jesus came. So, how can we be freed from Satan's kingdom? If, if that's the world, kingdom of Satan, ruling, Satan's the ruler of this world, Jesus said, John 14, John 12, how can we be freed from Satan's rule? Let me illustrate it like this. The problem is our guilt before God. Okay, Our guilt is like super glue. Think about it like this. Here's, here's you, here's me, and here's Satan's kingdom, and our guilt is like super glue which sticks Satan's kingdom to us. Because of our guilt before God, God can't 
save us. We're guilty before God, and our guilt causes Satan's kingdom to stick to us like glue. And so that's where I was, and that's where you were, and that may be where you are. Satan's kingdom is, is stuck to you like glue. And I mean, you can go to church every Sunday. Doesn't make any difference, right? You can like do transcendental meditation. Doesn't make any difference. I mean, you can, you know, take communion and you can get baptized. Any change? No. Because there's a guilt problem that's there. Okay? That's where we all have been. But Jesus did something that's amazing. The creator, Jesus, came to the earth, to his creation, where we were in rebellion against him, and he took upon himself the guilt of sin. The guilt of his rebels, he took upon himself And he paid, he made a way for our guilt to be paid for by dying on the cross. And so that means his death on the cross, maybe his shed blood is like solvents. I I googled super glue and, and how do you get something taken care of with super glue and solvent, acetone like will do it, right? Nail polish? That's what Elsa said anyway. Okay, so... Hang in with me. So Jesus' death is like, his blood like dissolves the guilt. So God then can bring his saving power upon us and take Satan's kingdom away and then can bring his kingdom to us. The problem though, the reason, back to Satan's kingdom, the reason Satan's kingdom was here is our guilt. Our guilt. Jesus had to die on the cross for anyone to be set free from Satan's kingdom. You were, if you've been saved, you were in Satan's kingdom. You may still be there. There is a way for you to be freed. You could leave here today freed from Satan's kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, I think it's verse 13. Paul describes conversion as being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Massive change out of the prisoner of war camp, out of the concentration camp, into freedom through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. You can try to be good. You can be nice to your wife. You can go to church. None of those will dissolve the super glue of guilt that's sticking Satan's kingdom to us. The only way is by Jesus' death on the cross. And so the moment that you ask Jesus to forgive you, The moment that you bend the knee before him and receive him as your savior and as your Lord and as your treasure, super glue dissolves. God brings his power, takes Satan's kingdom away from you, brings his kingdom to you. You're changed, you're forgiven, you're satisfied. That's what happens. So that's how we can be freed from Satan's kingdom. It all focuses on the cross. So when Jesus walked into Galilee and said, the kingdom of God has arrived, he's got in his mind, I'm going to die on the cross, pay for the guilt of sin, and I'm going to bring my kingdom to a multitude that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe and save them. So what happened then in the Gospels when Jesus brought God's kingdom? What did it feel like to walk out of the concentration camp gates into freedom? Let me just mention the, same, the flip side of the same three things I already mentioned. Three specifics. The first is, we see this happening all over the Gospels. Jesus freed people from sin's power. I love the story of Zacchaeus. 
I sent this story to a friend of mine who doesn't know the Lord this week to try to help him see what, what the power of the gospel does. You can turn to this uh, Luke 19. Take a look there, page 878. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a filthy rich tax collector. Just massive amount of money. He loved money. He loved oppressing people to get money. He loved cheating people to get money. He had the power of government behind him, gave him clout so he could manipulate people and get more money and cause them great harm, but he got the money. He loved money. He loved money. Oh, he loved money. Money. He loved it. But Jesus, Jesus was going to save Zacchaeus. Jesus died on the cross and paid for Zacchaeus' sins. And so God then brought his power upon Zacchaeus and changed his heart, took out his heart of stone, set him free from the blindness that made him think money was all that great. He could see Jesus and own up to Jesus for who he was, and he bent the knee before Jesus and was forgiven and changed, and for the first time in his life, satisfied. And look at what happened to him in verse 8. Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Half my money, gone. Here, half of my net worth. A lot of money. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So when Jesus walked into Galilee bringing God's kingdom, people started to be changed right and left. People like Zacchaeus transformed. Now, doesn't mean that we become perfect. That happens in heaven. That happens the second coming. Okay, but we're changed. We are changed. Jesus becomes our treasure. We love him more than anything else. We desire him more than anything else. Not perfectly and not without wavering, but mostly we desire Jesus above everything else. That's what it means to be saved. And I, I just have to throw out there, there's people in every church who go to church faithfully, 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 and have never experienced this, and they think that they've been saved, and they haven't. If you haven't been, then this would be good news. Because this is why you're so frustrated with where your spiritual life's at. You know why you're so frustrated? Super glue. Kingdom of Satan. That's why. Now, don't miss this. It doesn't mean that you're like an occult devil worshiper. Blah, blah, you know, you can like be a totally self-righteous Pharisee. Super glue. Satan's kingdom. Right? Oh, when you're saved, you're changed. You see Jesus. Again, not perfectly and not, consist- not, not consistently. You'll, you'll have waverings. I want to make, do we get that? We're not perfect. But you taste. You know what it means to know Jesus. His love has won your heart. You desire him more than anything else, most of the time. Okay, do you get that point? Super glue, freedom. Secondly, Jesus freed people from demons. Look at Matthew 9, 32. This is page 814. In the Old Testament, we don't read of anybody being freed from demons. I don't, not that I can think of anyway. Maybe some of you could think of one. We, we read in Saul's case, Saul was demonized, oppressed by a demon, but we don't read of, unless David playing the harp maybe was helpful for him. Anyway, never mind that. Look at Matthew nine thirty two. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, so Jesus cast him out, be gone. Demon left. Jesus has total authority over demons. 
By the way, Jesus is not the slightest bit intimidated by demons, right? When Jesus walks up to a demon and says, leave, what does the demon do? Leaves. Leaves. Jesus is, he's the king. He's God. Okay? So, when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Why? Because now the kingdom of God was here. Kingdom of God's here. I love a story in Luke uh, 13. It's heartbreaking and exhilarating. There's a woman who for 18 years had a spirit causing her to be bent over double. 18 years. A spirit. That's what demons do. Causing her to be bent over double. Jesus saw her, felt compassion for her, said, leave. Demon left. She straightened up. The kingdom of God's here. Third result, Jesus healed the sick. Look at Matthew 4, 23 to 24. This is an amazing text. Page 809. Matthew 4, 23 through 24. So Jesus freed people from sin's power. He freed people from demons. He healed the sick. Are, are you getting the sense when Jesus walked into Palestine, everybody was talking. I mean, things are happening. Zacchaeus has changed. He gave away half of his money. Everybody's talking about it. Demons are being, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. And then look at verses 23 through 24. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God's here. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. It's a hundred miles north of Galilee. hundred miles north they were talking about Jesus. Throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick from Syria. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. I mean, just this is what's happening. The kingdom of God's here. And Jesus, just everywhere he went, he left in his wake, saved people, freed people, healed people. That was, that was who was left. As Jesus would walk through town, that's who he'd leave behind him. Saved people, freed people, healed people. You know, I got to add just a little, little parenthesis here. There are people today who are well-meaning, I think, and they take this kind of a teaching and they say that therefore every time you pray to be healed if you really believe hard enough you will be every time I don't think the New Testament bears that out and I think it's a very destructive teaching in the, Old Te- in the New Testament we see Paul who has a thorn in the flesh we see Timothy with a stomach ailment and so it's clear that there was something special happening with the coming of Jesus there was massive healings to display the coming of the kingdom Now, God still heals supernaturally today. And we're committed here at Mercy Hill Church to praying for the sick. Elders will come and lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, pray for you. In our home groups, we lay hands on each other and we pray and we ask God to heal. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about supernatural gifts of healings that are still happening today. Healings still happen today. They happen today. But not always. So some of you, you don't pray for the sick expectantly enough. You've got to work on that. Others of you may be from a background where like everybody should be healed all the time. You've got to work on that. We're trying to come together here and pray for the sick all the time and then let the results be up to God. Okay? I just kind of want to avoid a difficulty here that you could, a way you could misunderstand this. 
So here's the picture. Throughout the Old Testament, the world was under Satan's rule. Sin's wickedness and power increasing, horrifying things happening. Demons oppressing people. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 of a demon who's got control of a little boy. And whenever a little boy walks by a fire, the demon would throw him into the fire to burn him. Or whenever he walked by a lake, he would throw him into the lake to drown him. And the father comes to Jesus just distraught. says, Jesus, would you free my son? And you know the story. He frees him. But see, this is the Old Testament. This is between Genesis 3 and Malachi 4. The world is under Satan's power. Sickness, uh, sins, wickedness and power increasing. Demons oppressing people. Sickness spreading to people. 2,000 years ago, though, Jesus brought God's kingdom to the earth. And he walked into Galilee and said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? Now, this raises a crucial question. If Jesus brought the kingdom 2,000 years ago, why is Satan's kingdom still around? Right? It's a fair question. Because it is, isn't it? First John 5.19, after Jesus came, we are of God, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, still. People are still under sin's power, people are still in bondage to demons, there's still lots of, of sickness around, obviously. So why is Satan's kingdom still around? To answer that, look at Luke 13, 18 through 21. Luke 13, 18 through 21. Two illustrations, two parables. That's page 873 in the Bibles that we're passing around, or we passed out. Luke 13, 18 through 21. Look at what Jesus says. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? He's talking about the kingdom of God. What's it like? To what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. See a mustard That's how big mustard seeds are. See the picture? Okay. A grain of mustard seed. It's like a grain of mustard seed. Little seed. That a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew. And became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So both illustrations show that the kingdom of God starts small and then increases, right? It's exactly what happened. When Jesus came, brought the kingdom, started small. And Jesus died and rose from the dead, and he commissioned his followers to spread the kingdom, to advance the kingdom, to, to gain ground, to win people one by one by one by one. So it starts small, and between the, the, the first and second comings, it grows, it spreads, it increases. Now, Jesus also taught, I think, that as the kingdom grows and spreads and increases, Satan's kingdom, in his rage and fury, is going to be increasing his persecution and his attacks against the increase of the kingdom. Read Mark 13, for example. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. So my understanding is that between the first coming and the second coming, we see an escalation, advance of God's kingdom, and an increase of 
resistance from Satan's kingdom. So I just want to throw this out there. Do you realize, First Peter says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's trying to devour you, okay? We've got to be alert and vigilant here. He wants to weaken you in your faith. He wants to deceive you in, in, uh, in just being aware of where you're at. He wants to, if possible, destroy your faith. So Satan's resisting. As the kingdom's increasing, Satan's resistance is increasing. But then Jesus taught that at the end of history, second coming, at that point, by his efforts, he will come back and will cast Satan and his demons and those who have continued to to rebel against God and not bend the knee before Jesus, he'll cast them all into into hell forever. And he will bring a new heaven and a new earth into existence. New heaven and a new earth. No more death. No more weeping, pain, sorrow. Resurrection life. The dead will be raised with Christ. Everyone will be completely healed of every sickness then. Okay. Yes, he'll heal every disease ultimately by his kingdom, second coming. And Jesus will welcome all of his followers to, to him, to fellowship with him, to know him. But we've just seen through a mirror dimly, face to face, you and the Lord Jesus with your brothers and sisters, beholding him, knowing him, loving him, worshiping him forever. So that's why Satan's kingdom is still around. Does that make sense? It's because the kingdom started small. Jesus didn't come in and just destroy Satan's kingdom and wipe it all out. He, he started small and it grows. And the second coming, it'll all reach its fulfillment. So what does Jesus call us to do in the meantime? Okay, here we are between the first and second coming. What are we called to do here? To answer that, I want you to turn to Matthew 12, 28 and 29. Page 817. Here's what Jesus calls us to do. You all are familiar with the Great Commission, right? I want to give you a little different passage today. Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus' final word in the Gospel of Matthew. So go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And listen, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's what we're called to do, but I want, I want to see you to see this picture of how Jesus portrays that in Matthew 12, 28 to 29. Start in verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, so Jesus cast out demons, which means the kingdom of God is here. God's kingdom is here. Oh, if we could feel this. Do you understand? God's kingdom is here. The allied troops have come. The gates have swung open. Freedom is here. The kingdom of God is here. For thousands of years, the world was under Satan's rule. But the kingdom of God is here. Jesus died. The glue's been dissolved. The kingdom of Satan's been taken from you. God's kingdom is here. And then look at verse 29. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Interesting illustration Jesus uses here. Satan is the strong man. He's got a house full of goods, 
A lot of goods. He loves his goods. And what are the goods? People. People in rebellion against God. You were one of his goods. I was too. This is his goods. Now you can't break into the strong man's house and carry off his property unless you bind the strong man, right? Jesus has bound the strong man. By the cross, Satan is bound. He's in the house. The goods are there. He's bound. He's bound. <laughs> There's plunder for the taking. Right? He's, he's bound. He is bound. By paying for our guilt, Satan was bound. And so now God can bring his power upon people and change their hearts. So, here's what this means for us. Here's the picture I want you to get. Everyone you know who doesn't know Christ is in Satan's house. Plunder. Satan's prisoner of war camp. Kind of keep both of these metaphors kind of together. Everyone you know. So, so picture them. Picture your neighbor. The person at your workplace. In Satan's house. Satan's prisoner of war camp. The conditions are terrible in Satan's house. And Jesus has bound the strong man by his death on the cross. And Jesus calls you, and he calls me, plunder Satan's house. The strong man's been bound. Plunder Satan's house. The strong man's been bound. I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. The strong man is bound. Plunder his house. Plunder his house. And the way we do that is by loving your neighbor, person in your workplace, caring for them, serving them, showing them Jesus, sharing the gospel with them. And as we do that, because the strong man's been bound, Many, 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 many times as you do that, God will bring his power upon that person and just reach down and take out their heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh. Free them from Satan's kingdom. Bring them God's kingdom. Save them, forgive them, restore them, transform them. That's the Christian life. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live. Not on a cruise trip to Mazatlan where we're glad we're going there and I'm going to just do all I can to make my trip as cushy as I possibly can. That just bears no relation to this book. Does it? Soldiers setting prisoners of war free. Soldiers loving our neighbors, speaking to people in the marketplace, having people over to our homes to love them, serve them, to share Jesus with them because the strong man's been bound. It'll cost but Jesus says, I'll make it up for you a hundredfold forever. Okay, let's see what questions this might have raised. Why is God's kingdom growing slowly? That's a really good question. Why is God's kingdom growing slowly? Why didn't he just come and totally remove all of Satan's kingdom and remove all the people that were still not trusting Jesus and cast all of Satan and his demons and all unbelievers into hell and just have it be over? You know, even just asking the question, I can think of what the answer is. What's the answer? He's, he's patient. He wants to save lots and lots and lots and lots of people. So if, if, if it all came at once, all unbelievers would have been cast into hell. But because it's gradual, that means more and more and more and more can be saved. There's probably some other reasons. Why are we still sick? Why have I had a sinus infection for three and a half weeks? Which I think is better, by the way. Thank you, Lord. But um, why, why doesn't he just... 
like why don't for Savior, why not all of our sicknesses just be gone? I think it's there's there's lots of reasons. Um he'll either take it away from us, which will be glorious, or he'll he'll leave it with us if that's gonna bring us even more of him in a better way. Either way it's gonna be the very best thing. And Thorn in the flesh is where I get that passage. That's a really good question. Anybody else think of any other answers for Julian's question? It's a really good question. It teaches us to suffer well with both sickness and with the gradual nature of the kingdom, right? In this side of heaven, suffering is a means of seeing more clearly Jesus as our treasure and having our hearts be refined and purified and weaned from the things that we tend to put our security and trust in. Isn't that what suffering does? It's what it's what it ought to do. It's what it can do. I don't see the scripture really answering that, so we're we're wondering, right? We're just kind of wondering. Um, I think that there's, there's a couple different things to say. That's a possible answer, and I think that's, that's, there's truth to that. I think it may also be that there's times when we are not aware of the possibility of, of the demonic. And there may be some of you here where you're thinking, huh, I wonder if that's what's going on with me. And it may be. It may be. Okay? I mean, I've, I've seen people that are, have been afflicted and oppressed by demons and seen Jesus powerfully free them. You know, there's a lot of weird TV stuff that goes on. Don't worry about that, you know. Christian TV stuff, don't worry about that. Um, but there's, there's, there's reality to it. I think it could be the, the Judeo-Christian background of our country has, has put a protection, possibly, here, whereas other countries where there's more blatant occult religions, that can open the door possibly more. Um, but I think it's growing in this country. It's my impression. Um, anyway, so there's probably a lot, of, a lot of possible answers to that. We should be alert and aware and understanding that it's still possible right now today and be ready to help people who, where that's what's going on. Pray for them. Oh, that's good. Uh, Satan's influence on our sin versus our own personal responsibility. Um, when we're unbelievers and we turn away from God, then God allows us to come under more and more and more of Satan's control. We're, we're initially, I mean, we are fully responsible for being in that place because that, that was our choice and our call and we're always responsible for the whole time. Because at any time, if we just simply call upon Jesus, we'd be set free. Okay? So Satan's power can increase at the same time our responsibility doesn't decrease, I don't think. Um, now, save people, uh, resist the devil and what will happen? James 4.10. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Okay? I uh, don't want to make that just like something you throw out. There's a reality there. But if you, in the spirit, through prayer, with the word, resist the devil, he will flee from you because of Jesus' power, not yours. Okay, you're just plugging your plug into the big power watt and he has to leave, okay? That's what you do. Word and prayer, mm, power, flee, okay? It's, it, we don't want to fall into the trap of saying, well, the devil made me do it because he can only make you do what you choose to do. He can influence, he can tempt, he can increase his power upon you. So we need to be careful. The Bible doesn't let us do that. We do grow. So my understanding is there will be a profound transformation like Zacchaeus when you're saved. But Zacchaeus didn't become perfect and he, he was growing through the whole process. Okay, So yes, there's growth. You don't become perfect. Okay, let me close with this. I want you to feel the amazing horror of a world under Satan's rule and the exhilaration of Jesus walking into Galilee saying the kingdom of God is here. Sin-freeing power, demon-freeing power, 
healing power, the kingdom of God is here. And the reality that the strong man's been bound. So here's Satan's house, and here's Satan bound, and here we are over here. And are you making any moves towards Satan's house? Is there any way in your life that you're seeking to plunder Satan's house? I mean, if you were a thief, and you knew that there was this house that had like lots and lots of money in it, and somebody said, the owners are tied up. It's free for the taken. You'd be in there, right? That's the analogy Jesus wants us to be thinking about here. That's the analogy. But we don't. Right? We're, we're afraid, we're intimidated, we just have our, our habits of lifestyle sets out of our comfort zone. Plunder Satan's house. This is why we're here, is to plunder Satan's house. And if, you just, if you're thinking, you know, my heart just doesn't resonate with that, I'm, I'm afraid, I just, I'm not feeling it, here's what you need to do. Don't, don't just kind of grit your teeth and do something. Don't, don't do that. But come before the Lord Jesus and just repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. This is not how I've been living my life. Would you change my heart so that I see more clearly the horror of Satan's kingdom, the horror of being lost and sin in Satan's kingdom, and the wonder that you've bound the strong man and that your kingdom is here? Would you change my heart? Please, help me. If you come clean before the Lord Jesus in that way, you will find your heart start to change. You'll, 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 you'll turn off the TV and... I, I want to do this. And I'm going to go over into Satan's house. Okay, you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself doing that. He will change your heart. But you've got to come clean before the Lord and say, help me. I see what you're saying in your word. Change me. Your kingdom is here. The, the strong man's been bound. I want to love these people that are still trapped in his house and help them and save them in whatever way I can. That's what I want to call you to do. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. So just ask the Lord now to shine his light on your life so that you can see where are you at with this, honestly. Maybe, maybe you're still in the kingdom of darkness. You know, if you are, we love you. We are so glad you're, you are here. Jesus' death can be the acetone that dissolves the superglue of guilt that's keeping Satan's kingdom on you. You can be freed. Ask Jesus to do that now. Let us pray for you afterwards. He'll free you. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you, it's really been like a cruise ship to Mazatlan. It's just been kind of comfy and secure and making your life as, as pleasurable as you can between now and heaven. Listen, if that's where your heart's been at, you need to, please, please, do serious soul business before the Lord. Lord, do I even know you? Do I even know you? Have I wept for lost people? Am I rejoicing in who you are? Ask the Lord to change your heart. He will. He will. Maybe you're fearful of talking to people. Ask the Lord to meet you in that. He'll meet you. The kingdom of God is here. The strong man has been bound. We can love people and share the gospel of people and he'll bring his power upon people and save people. So I pray, Lord, that you would bring your power upon us right now here at Mercy Hill.
that you would bring about the change that each of us needs. I need it. We all need it in varying ways and in different aspects. So come, Lord, right now, I pray. Thank you, Jesus, for binding the strong man. Thank you, Jesus, for those who took the risk to plunder us out of his house. Thank you, Jesus, that the glue's been dissolved and the kingdom of God's, the kingdom of darkness has been lifted off of us and your kingdom has come upon us. Thank you for freedom, for your presence, for your forgiveness, for new creation. Thank you for the work that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.